Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. The main uh, verse that we're going to be looking at is Deuteronomy 30, verse 12. So I mentioned at the beginning uh, of the Torah service that there that this is a very rich chapter. Um, there's many things in this, I shouldn't say chapter, in this Parsha, though a lot of it comes in this beginning uh, po- section here of uh, chapter 29, chapter 30, that we hear many tropes, not Torah tropes, but, but recollections of things that have happened before. And one of the most interesting, to me at least, pieces of this is that we are starting to refer to this piece of our canon, our Torah, which is what we call it now, as something that is being written, right? It's almost, the Torah almost in this Parsha becomes sort of like a journal of Moshe's, right? You are writing things down. This is what I was told to write down. So I'm specifically looking um, at verse 19 right now of chapter 29, where it says, uh, till every sanction recorded in this book comes down upon him. Right? We don't usually refer to the Torah in the Torah. Right? We usually talk about the Torah after it's been written, after we've learned from it. But here we start to see as we get to the end of this five books of Moses that we're starting to refer to this Torah as an actual book, an actual thing for us to be learning from. So, One of the ways that that comes to life is here in chapter 30, verse 12. And this this is a moment in which God is um, speaking to Moshe, but really to all of us in saying, I hope that this is all clear for you, right? It says, then the Lord your God will open up your heart and the heart of your offspring offspring to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, which we know, we also heard it in this, this past week's Parsha, which we read this morning. And then it says that, uh, since you will be heeding that the Lord your God and keeping God's commandments and laws are recorded in this book, again referring to the Torah as this book of the teaching, once you return to the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul. So if you do all these things, then you're going to return to this book and understand it all. Surely this instruction which I enjoin upon you this day is not too baffling for you, nor is it beyond reach. And then we get to this verse. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of context. It's okay if you didn't follow exactly which verses I was reading from. But now we are at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 12, which says, Lo vashamayim he, it is not in heaven. The context that I just gave you makes us all know that the he here is the Torah. The Torah is not in heaven. This book, this code of law is not in heaven. Lo v'shamayim hi le'emor, mi i'ale lanu ha'shamayma, v'ikacheha lanu v'yishamenu ota v'na'asena. It's not in the heavens, because as you might say, if it were in the heavens, who of us is going to go up to the heavens and get this thing for us and give it to us and then observe it? Right? If something is in the heavens, 
then how can you say that it's for us? Because we're not in, we're not in the heavens. We're here on earth. So how can you say that this is for us if it's in the heavens? So the Torah says, Lo vashamayim hi. It is no longer in the heavens. And the Gemara has a great time with this. But before we get to the Gemara, even Rashi says, if it were in heaven, it would be your duty. It would be you, Alan Broidy's duty, to go up to heaven and to learn it. Well, we know as humans that that's not, you know, get on a plane and go to heaven, right? That's not some, it's not a destination we can get to. So what Rashi is is saying is if it was in heaven, we would still be after it, right? It would still be our commandment to go after it. So how can it be in heaven? Of course, it's not in heaven anymore because we can't go and get it. Eruvin, a part of the Talmud that we're actually in right now in the Dafyomi cycle, takes up this idea and brings it one step further. What is the meaning of that which is written, it is not in heaven, nor is it beyond the sea, which is what comes in the next uh, the next line of Torah. It's in this line of Torah, it says it's not in heaven, and then the next line it says it's not, it is not beyond the sea. It is not in heaven, the Gemara says, indicates that if it were in heaven, you would have to ascend after it. That's what Rashi said too. By the way, Rashi very often is quoting the Gemara in his own commentary, so that's why sometimes there's parallels there. And if it were beyond the sea, you would have to cross after it. So the Gemara is adding that there's no possible way that what the Torah meant was that we should go after something that we can't actually access. Okay, my guess is that this next part is what Alan was referring to as his favorite piece of Torah. This part of the Gemara that we're about to read from Baba Metzia is probably the most well-known piece of Gemara, and it's also one of the major pieces of the Talmud that influences and influenced conservative Judaism. So the way in which we think about halacha, the way in which our movement thinks about our connection, humans' connection to the law and to our religion, much of it is influenced by this passage that we are about to read here. It is informally known as the passage of the Tanur Shel Achnai. In the Talmud, if you're trying to find it, it's not listed under the Tanur Shel Achnai. It's on Bava Metzia, it's on, uh, in Tractate Bava Metzia on page 59, but it's known as the Tanur Shel Achnai because that's the main item that the rabbis are discussing in this passage. So I'm going to read you, I'm going to read through this story for you, and then I'm going to pause and I would love to hear some reactions about the story and how it answers this question of what does it mean that this is that our Torah is not in heaven any longer. So this is the Gemara on Bava Mitz, in Bava Mitzia on page 59. And this is known as the oven of Achnai, the Tanur Shel Achnai. The Gemara asks, what's the relevance of Achnai? Achnai means a snake, so it most likely was a... Um, a circular oven. Rav Yehuda said that Shmuel said, it is characterized in that manner due to the fact that the rabbis surrounded it with their statements like this snake, which often forms a coil when at rest 
and deemed it impure. Okay, so they're actually talking about an oven and how it became impure. And this next part is where it really begins our, our story. The sages taught. On that day when they discussed this matter, Rabbi Eliezer answered all possible answers in the world to support his opinion, but the rabbis did not accept his explanations from him. After failing to convince the rabbis logically, Rabbi Eliezer said to them, If the halakha, if Jewish law, is in accordance with my opinion, this carob tree right outside the Beit Midrash will uproot from its place 100 cubits, and some say even 400 cubits. The rabbi said to him, One does not cite halachic proof from the carob tree. We don't make law based on a, a tree. Rabbi Eliezer then said to them, If the Jewish law is in accordance with my opinion, the stream will prove it. The water in the stream turned backward and began flowing in the opposite direction. They said to him, one does not cite halachic proof from a stream. Rabbi Ezra then said to them, if the halacha is in accordance with my opinion, the walls of the study hall of the Beit Midrash will prove it. The walls of the study hall leaned inward and began to fall. Rabbi Yehoshua scolded the walls and said to them, If Torah scholars are contending with each other in matters of halacha, what is the nature of your involvement in this dispute? The Gemara relates, The walls did not fall because of the deference due to Rabbi Yehoshua, but they did not straighten because of the deference due to Rabbi Eliezer, and they still remain leaning. So one day, someone's going to find a Beit Midrash that has walls like this and assume that it's from this story. Rabbi Eliezer then said to them, If the Halakha is in accordance with my opinion, heaven will prove it. The Shamaim will say so. A divine voice emerged, a bat kol said from heaven, Why are you differing with Rabbi Eliezer, as the Halakha is in accordance with his opinion in every place that he expresses an opinion. He's been right every time. So why are you arguing? What's the point in your argument here? If you're on the sheet that I provided, you can turn it over now. Rabbi Yehoshua stood on his feet and said, It is written, Lo bashamayim hi. It is not in heaven. The Gemara asks, What's the relevance of this phrase, Lo bashamayim hi, in this context, in this story of the walls and the carob tree and the stream? Rabbi Yirmiya says, Since the Torah was already given at Mount Sinai, we do not regard a divine voice. As you already wrote at Mount Sinai in the Torah, after a majority to incline. Since the majority of rabbis disagreed with Rabbi Eliezer's opinion, the halacha is not ruled in accordance with his opinion. That's a com The sentence I just read is a, is a commentary by, by Rav Steinzals. But it gives you the context for what they're saying. Back in the text. The Gemara says, Years later, Rabbi Natan encountered Elijah the prophet and said to him, What did the Holy One, blessed be he, do at that time when Rabbi Yehoshua issued his declaration? Elijah said to him, The Holy One, blessed be he, smiled and said, Nitzchuni banai, nitzchuni banai. My, child, my children have triumphed over me. My children have triumphed over me. 
So other than just having the sentence, lo bashamayim he in this story, what, why is this story important or connected even to this idea of the law or even the Torah itself no longer living in the heavens, but being amongst the people where we can now say, where God can now say, Nitzchuni banai, my children have triumphed over me. Feel free to raise your hand and I'll call on you and you can un- unmute. Yeah, Alan. You have to un- yeah. I have much to say about this. And okay, well, we it, have 19 minutes, still have Dala. So you, so you decide how much you want to say. Okay. okay. Well, p- part of it is because I learned this, I studied this with Rabbi David Hartman, Zichonoli Bacha, mm. in 1974. Mm-hmm. And this was before the Hartman Institute, yeah. when he had a class on philosophical implications of rabbinic thought. And Perry Netter, then, then Perry Netter, not Rabbi Perry Netter, yeah. was in that <laughs> class with me. And this this class and this particular uh, uh, portion of the Gomorrah had a profound impact on my life mm. and had me connected to Jewish to Jewish law mm. and almost I almost became a rabbi after all of this. Wow, I did not and, know that. Yes, it, it was close, but wow. I get and so. But on one level, the 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 what's going on here is that the uh, uh, the Talmud is teaching us that we're not listening to divine revelation anymore. There's not going to be any new revelation. It's like, like with the prophets or anything else, you can't change the law. This is the law. This is what we've got. We're not relying on divine, on, on a bat kol to be able to change that law, yeah. to change the law. And so there was going to be in the hands of the rabbis to be able to determine the law after the majority, after there was going to be the vote. But the thing that impressed me the most, and that stayed with me from my learning with Rabbi Hartman, is that he said, Don't read it as my children have defeated me. From Netzach, my children have eternalized me. Mm. My children have eternalized me. I love that. Because when the Torah is in the hands of the rabbis to be able to determine what it means and to be able to deal with future tasks that are going on with it, then the Torah can truly be eternal. Mm. And it, it's something, you can ask Josh, uh, Rabbi Wachowski, yeah, because yeah. I love talking about this. He chides me about it that when <laughs> I do it, but it. It speaks to me and resonates with me so profoundly. Mm. Um, it is... It's just true. They have this eternalizes Torah for the Jewish people because you can interpret it. It's not a dead document. It's something that's living. It's ongoing. I think Rabbi Hartman wouldn't like this, but I think he was uh, a wonderful conservative Jew, <laughs> a wonderful conservative rabbi. It, it, first of all, I love. I love word plays, and so I love that he did that because the Gemara is not um, is not vocalized, right? There's no vowels in the Gemara, so the way that he read it 
is possibly the actual way to read it. It's possible that we've all been reading Nitzchuni because someone saw it vocalized that way, and yet the way that Rabbi Hartman read it could be true. And I actually love that. I love that interpretation um, because it is. It's almost saying the same thing, and yet it says it in such a in, in a much more powerful way. That that the way that Nitzchuni is read is that that my children have have taken over they know they know it all they now know how to keep the tradition alive in their own way but what you're saying and what you're quoting rabbi hartman and saying is that there's a part of needing to actually live it and breathe it and feel it that it's not just that you've learned it but that it's something that you've really internalized in such a way that it is yours that it has become yours not just something that you've learned and i I love that. I love that. This is one of also my favorite pieces of Gemara, so I share that with you. Um, but thank you for that teaching. That's really. Uh, by the way, it, it's very interesting that all this is so important because really, Baba Metzia is not really dealing with this section. Okay. It deals with Hona'a, which yeah. is a whole section on fraud, and but that's a whole other story. Well, in Baba Metzia, and then I'll get to you, Larry. Baba Metzia also talks about loss right and how it's what i the idea of losing something and how you retrieve it and in a way though they don't make this connection to this story there is something here about loss right that god had to be willing to give it up to be able to have us retrieve it um which i think in some way i mean it's not what bava mitzi is about you are correct but in some way i do think it's it's theologically related. I like that. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank yeah, Larry. It's wonderful to listen to the two of you, and I can only suggest that um, um, both of you are, are Alan should give a shiur next um, shavuot, at uh, Lel Tikkun Shavuot on this teaching. Right. I didn't have the honor of studying with Rabbi Hartman, um, but at least I'm Alan's friend, so I take some... Um, I'll, I'll take it right where I can get it. I actually think, though, I disagree slightly with Alan's interpretation. The Torah is not in the hands of the of, of the rabbis. The Torah is in our hands because this this lesson is talking to all the Jewish people. The right. Torah is put in our hands, and as I often do in Rabbi Klickfeld's class, I disagree with Rashi entirely here. <laughs> interpretation. That's a hard class to disagree with Rashi, given that it's a chumash with Rashi it's class. A, it's, a, it's an easy class <laughs> to do it. But anyways, um, no, the point is not if if the Torah were in heaven, we would have to get it. The yeah. point is, the, the text is telling us, this is not an impossible thing to do. This is not something that only heroes can do. This is not something that only gods or demagogues can do at all. This is something that you can do. And you can do here on earth. And you must do this here on earth. And that's also clearly the lesson of the, of the Agadai in the, in the, in the Talmud is it's telling us, no, no, don't wait around for miracles to interpret what it is, who is right and who is wrong. You will wrestle with those ideas themselves. And one last point, which is a, not a political point, but a, a legal point. And I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. Alan is, but this would argue against the doctrine of original intent that basically the Constitution or the law, halakha, this is a defense of Jewish, of conservative Judaism, the halakha must move, and we have an obligation 
to relate the halacha to not only our place here on earth, but to our time mm. here on earth. Mm. I wish we had more time in these. Uh, in these. I know. I actually added time. I don't know if any of you picked up on this, but usually we don't have as much time as, as we did today. And we'll still go over. Um, but I tried to add an extra five minutes for this teaching. Um, you're exactly right. And it's actually how I ended my source sheet here. Joanna, did you have your hand up? No. Um, it's actually how I ended my source sheet because I, I 100% agree with you. And it's interesting. I didn't hear it as a dissonance to what Alan was saying. Um, but you're right that it's not just people who are supposedly the ones to know Torah or to be taught more Torah than others. It's to everyone. Every single person is supposed to be learning this and knowing this and taking this to heart and completely infusing themselves with it. And the verse in Deuteronomy right after this verse that we read is, So I command you, I, God, command you this day to love Adonai, your God, to walk in God's ways, to keep God's commandments and laws, and to live and to be great, to thrive and to be blessed by God, by Adonai, our God, in this land that you're about to possess and enter. However, that I I wanted to like rework the Torah so that we could have these verses that I'm about to read after as opposed to before, because though they are before and therefore people will have read them first, and hopefully embody them and take them on through this teaching. I actually think the next verses that I'm about to read, which are the beginning of our Aparsha, should go after this teaching so that everyone knows exactly what Larry just pointed out from this idea of Loba Shamayimhi. Atem Nitzavim Hayom. These are the first three words of our Aparsha. We stand today against you. Nitzav, Natsav is to be um, opposite or against. We stand across from you, all of you, before Adonai, our God, tribal heads, elders, your officials, all the people of Israel, your children, your wives, even the stranger within your camp, from a wood chopper to a water drawer, to enter into the covenant of Adonai, your God, which Adonai, your God, is concluding with you this day, with its, it says here in the English sanctions, it's really, um, uh, like a like a covenant to, uh, that if you break it, that's why it says sanctions, that you wouldn't want to break it. It's a different kind of covenant. To the end that God may establish you this day as God's people and be your God, as God promised you and as God swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I make this covenant with its sanctions, not with you alone but both with those who are standing here with us this day before Adonai, our God, and with those who are not with us here this day. And I always bring tears to my eyes to read that because I think that it's, first of all, it is not something that we think of when we're reading the weekly Parsha. I'll speak for myself. It is not something I think of when I'm reading through the weekly Parsha that this was written for Rebecca Schatz. 
I often think, okay, what can I learn from this? What can I teach from this often? But I don't ever think these words were written for me. But the Torah is saying right here in the one, two, three, four, five, sixth line of this week's Parsha, that it's not just for the people who were physically there to hear this, but it's for everyone who was once part of this people and who will be part of this people. That it's for each and every one of us. So how can it be in the heavens? Yeah, Alan. Yes, what what you're saying, the, the Midrash is, we were all standing at Sinai. Right. It was all, all generations. That's this very point that, yes, we all receive Torah. Right. And we all we all go about it. But the, the, the question about the Natsuni and Nitsuni deals with religious legal system and how the law is determined after the majority. Right. Yes, all of us are expected to accept Torah, but the interpretation of that Torah depends on what the majority are going to do in the conservative movement. It's the RA that determines the, the, right. the, the Jewish law and standards that determines what's going to be a validated option and what is not. And right. it's after the majority one inclines. And so even, even though we all have, we all receive Torah, we all heard it in our own way in terms of what the observance of the law is and what we're permitted to do is going to be determined by the majority of the rabbis to make that determination. Great. Paula, you have something to say, and then I'm going to wrap us up. Thank you. Yeah. So, but I'm going to take issue with what Alan said, because those rabbis get it wrong (laughs) and it changes over time. And women were not ordained before. And now look what we have. We have Rebecca Schatz today. We did not have same-sex marriages before. Look at what we have today. We have same-sex marriages. So I'm, I'm with, um, I'm with Larry, where I think we get to have our own midrash. I think we get to have our own interpretation because we were standing there and sometimes we're ahead of our times. And those, the, those other folks have to catch up with us. I think that, I think that there's some, thank you, Paula. And I appreciate being able to now be here. Um, There's something, there's something extremely powerful about hearing this right before the Torah ends and right before we begin the Torah again, because for those of us who have been through that cycle many times, we know that the end of the Torah is full of laws, full of a different kind of people, because we are, we are now a people at the beginning of the Torah. We're not. We're scattered. We haven't yet figured out. We're not even Jews yet, right? We have to figure out who we are. But by the end of the Torah, we're a people. We've entered a land. We are, we are together. We have community. And yet when we begin the Torah... It's a very different kind of God. It's a very different kind of people. It's a very different kind of story. And one that feels further away from us than the story that we're telling in this week's parasha, which can feel very connected to the lives that we live now. And I think that there's power in hearing these words right before we begin the Torah again, that everything about this Torah was written for each one of us to be able to understand how to, yes, create law, and yes, be a Jew, and yes, have different kinds of observances in accordance to that law. 
but that it's for each one of us to understand what that is. It's not in heaven. It's not sitting up somewhere but behind glass for us to have to follow along and read exactly what it says and do exactly what it says. It's for each one of us to understand how in our lives we need to be taking on the halacha or we need to be taking on the minhag, the custom, or we need to be taking on the different pieces of Torah. So I hope that as we wrap up this year of Torah and as we move into this next year of Torah, that you think about how, and not in a selfish way, because I believe that there are many pieces of Torah that are actually teaching us to look beyond ourselves and to look outwards into community. But the idea of lo he is that it's for each and every one of us. And it's for each and every one of us to put into ourselves to understand and to then do something with it. So I hope that you have the clarity and the time to be able to figure out how for you the Torah that you hear and the Torah that you learn is really seeping into you as a person and that you are accepting it as part of yourself as opposed to something that is too hard to reach or too high above you to possibly be able to fathom having it as part of your life. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.